With me today, I have Cassie Christopher, who's a registered dietitian and emotional eating expert. She has been working with women to help them develop self-care routines that are going to heal overeating issues and, you know, things that we've maybe been taught, routines, old habits, things that stop us from living our healthiest and our best lives. I am extremely excited to speak with her today to to discover what self-care strategies she uses and how she teaches and guides women to, to find peace, right? With not just your food, but your body. It really is important for not just getting started on living a healthier lifestyle, but in maintaining it too, which is let's be real, the one of the most important pieces. Hello, let's see. Hello. Ah, I'm How are you? Good, good. I was trying to do the like the high pony thing uh, because without it, I just look, you know, bald. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing the pretend I don't have gym hair look oh, happening. Yes. Yeah. Just leave it alone because it's so greasy kind of look. That's what's happening here today. <laughs> I 100% get that. I'm like, why would I shower now when I have my workout at four? So yeah, I, same boat. <laughs> yeah, We're all busy trying to fit things in here and there, right? Including basic hygiene. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> so I've done a little intro on you, Cassie. I know, like, and I really, truly in this episode, I want to talk about two main topics with you, okay. right? Be- Because I know you work with women and we can get pretty broad. I'm assuming we could talk for days with on all the topics, but I really want to dig into the emotional eating aspect just because I totally get you with regards to when I first started approaching healthy weight loss and I looked at the diets and they made it worse. (laughs) They were that one size fits all, right? And if you have these emotional eating patterns and issues, it makes it worse when you're obviously the goal is to to make it better, to improve your health. But there's that detachment right from sometimes we get really misguided and think, okay, weight loss, but not what's healthiest for you yeah, because of these little diets and one size fits all approach, right? So tell me a little bit about your story about how the diet, let's start from the really beginning. Um, How, which diets did you kind of know? It was when you were becoming a a dietitian. Okay. Love to hear this. So I love very much so the aspect of that you realized as as you learned more about it that what you were learning was still broken mm-hmm. yeah 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 so for me it was all about um trying to survive <laughs> you know like that was the basis of my relationship with food was trying to survive and and now i can look back and go oh like I grew up in a family that used food to cope with emotions, but I wasn't aware of that then. I wasn't aware of uh, how I was even using food. I just knew that every day I needed to go to the school convenience store and buy a bar of chocolate. And I thought, well, this is artisanal dark chocolate. So, you know, it's healthy, right? 
But of course, by eating a bar of chocolate every day um, eventually leads to some weight gain and, you know, potentially even some health problems further down the road. And so uh, uh, once I realized, you know, for me, I didn't know that emotional eating was really what was going on. What I saw was the weight gain. And I find that's really common. A lot of women come to me and they're saying, you know, either they're gaining weight or they've gained weight in the past and they have a lot of fear around it. And they're afraid that if they keep going the way they are with food, um, with their dieting history, that they'll be in trouble, that things aren't going to work out, that they'll have health consequences. I work with women in their 50s and 60s, uh, primarily some in their early 70s, and they're very concerned about about their health and and making the most of of, um, their days. And so... For me, I was like, well, I'm gaining weight and I'm a dietitian student, so why don't I try the things that I'm learning? And it's really interesting for me because I just read this study and I think you're you're going to you're going to be interested in it from the um, American Journal of Nutrition and Dietetics and it showed how self-directed dieting behavior so reading a book you know reading pinterest right like and doing a diet on your own which many people feel like they should be able to do that that is normal and they should be successful that way uh the research points to that self-directed dieting actually increasing the risk for eating disorders increasing the risk for weight regain um essentially it's it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I, I believe that. And I would definitely be interested to listen, but it's probably mostly because there's a lot of pieces. There's a lot of things to be confused about. And unfortunately it doesn't get easier, right? Where yes, we're taught this nothing when we're young, but then even further confused as we grow up, as we get busier as we don't prioritize even understanding what it is, right? And well, yeah, I mean, to that point, you know, and I'm sure you feel this way as well, the women I work with are so capable and so smart. And they feel like because they're capable and smart, and they've succeeded so much in other areas of their life, that they should be able to figure out this dieting thing on their own as well. Um, But I think to your point is that personalization, that customization, that, that third or not third perspective that, but that outside perspective is really valuable. And and what's, what sets people up for success and also having an outside perspective that's evidence-based and has the credentials, you know, that knows what they're talking about. Um, not just someone who, you know, took a course or, you know, like whatever, like, I don't want to, I don't want to cast any shame or blame on anyone, but there is a difference between, I mean, I just took this 60 hour continuing education unit to get my certificate of training in adult and pediatric obesity. Like I can say with confidence, I am a hundred percent up to date on all the research around weight loss, you know? Um, and, and I believe that really counts for something. And I know you, I saw on your website, you have a long list of credentials as well. And those credentials count for something. It's just nice having guidance when we're lost in, in the side of it, right? Even somebody as a dietitian, you were confused in the information, yeah. right? So why is it that 
us, any beginners, no one who's even studied it, they feel like there's this really big gap of your right that they should know what they're doing. But even us as very experienced people, we have struggled and we still struggle. We're still not perfect by any stretch, right? And nor do you need to be. But where we are so busy, where we all have so much on the go, if you're not focused on the small exact things that really need to be worked on, then a lot of the time we do try things, see no results and give up Mm -hmm. or try something else and give it up. And, you know, it doesn't work. And leading back to the the diets and the approaches that we've tried that doesn't work, um, I mean... I think a lot of us have, especially women, we try everything. It's like, okay, this keto is out this time. And, oh, this is out for many years when I, I mean, I've been studying personal training and it's been almost 10 years now, but I did it. And as I was doing it, I was learning along the way too. Certainly uh, that practical application and learning from your clients. That's a, that's a big deal. You know, for me, uh, it was when I was in school and I think part of the problem, yes, was it was self-directed. I I didn't have an outside perspective helping me figure out what was going to be best for me. And And even now when I need help with, you know, weight or food, I have my own dietitian who I, you know, call and schedule with uh, because food is very personal and it is very close to us. And I just want to put that out there because I think there's so much shame that people carry around not being able to figure it out for themselves. But we live in such a confusing world that's always overloading us with information about what's going to be best for us. And it takes an expert. You know, I do this for my clients. I have an expert that I consult with for my own health. Uh, it takes an expert to help you figure out what's going to be that key behavior. Like you're saying, you know, what's that key behavior that's going to work for you and kind of snowball into more results and more energy and, and more, you know, the ability to do more behaviors. And so, yeah, me being in grad school, trying out these diets, you know, again, self-directed, not knowing what's the way to go. But the other thing is the way that I approached the diets, um, and it was was through the lens of all or nothing dieting. And part of that had to do with being a zealous uh, grad school student, like, yeah, zealous with a capital Z. Um, another part of it had to do with my personality. Very, I, had, I think of myself as a recovering perfectionist now, but I was definitely type A perfectionist then. And then there's the, you know, trauma history. Uh, for me, that had an impact onto how I viewed the world and approached the world, feeling like if I did things as perfect as possible, not only would I get results, but I was also going to be safe and okay and worthy and acceptable. If I could just eat the right thing, I wouldn't have any health issues. And quite frankly, that's disordered. Okay. So everyone out there, that level of thinking and extremism would be considered disordered eating. It's the approach is everything. And that's something that we can hundred percent agree on. And the emotional eating, if you're going to be able to conquer it, you do need to change your approach because the all or nothing will make it even further aggravated rather than help you. That's actually one of the key steps in my program as well is the approach. And I even have a free masterclass to give 
three of my first strategies to get started because again, getting started is the hardest part and it's the most key important part, not just to get into your results, but to sustain it too, right? It needs to be in a state, a sustainable approach. You need to build momentum instead of making things harder for yourself, right? The approach is just, it's everything. And I am also kind of like a type A personality, right? Where I also (laughs) really love to be perfect too, but it hurts you way more than it helps you. You either freeze because it's too much and it's too overwhelming, right? Or yeah, you don't start because it's too big of a leap. Yep. Yeah. What I love about the word freeze there is that's part of that nervous system activation, that fight, flight, or freeze, you know, and we could probably come up with what does it look like when people fight? What does it look like when they flight, right? Flight is just running away. Like freezing is getting stuck, you know, like we could come up with that. But the, the point there being that when you're focused on doing things perfectly and here, it is not your fault. If someone's out there going, this is me, look, I didn't, I don't blame myself for being that way. I don't blame you. A lot of it is actually diet culture at large. And the diet's telling you that if you don't succeed, it's your fault. Don't blame this diet. God forbid it's the diet works. Look at all these examples. No, if this doesn't work for you, it's your fault. And actually the research shows that you can put, you know, a hundred people on any given diet and there will be some responders, people who lose like 40 pounds seemingly very easily, right? And some non-responders, people who gain 40 pounds seemingly very easily, you know, from the very same diet. And so that completely debunks this myth that if you do not, uh, you know, uh, get the results you want from a certain food plan, that it's your fault. There's so much more involved. There's the biology, you know, there, there's all of that. And so what happens with the all or nothing dieting is you think it's your fault. You feel all that shame. You feel all that blame. It stops you from starting, you know, to the point you've made, but it stops you from trusting yourself around food because we get this forbidden fruit syndrome, which is like, or forbidden fruit phenomenon, which is like the best name for anything I've ever heard. And this is from the research where when you put food on a no list, like I cannot eat X, Y, Z, you're going to be thinking about it more. You're going to be, you know, daydreaming about it more. You're going to be seeking it out more. So you're, it's literally making things harder for you with this all or nothing. Like you cannot have you know, nothing, you can have none of this. Um, And then you get more dopamine, you're feeling more motivated. And completely back to old habits, maybe even worse, maybe you didn't eat fast food before. And now all you're eating is fast food. Like it's such a a backslide. And again, it's not your fault. Biologically, that's what happens when you do this all or nothing dieting. But then when you're in that nothing period where you're at the fast food or whatever that looks like for you, uh, your body learns very quickly that when you're feeling upset with yourself, when you're feeling ashamed, when you're feeling anything and you go and eat a hamburger, you feel better. You learn that very quickly. And then you can, you start to apply that to other things, to stress, to feeling tired, to feeling bored. Um, Maybe, you know, I work with a lot of women and they don't even realize what emotions are driving how they're 
food works so well, we get this hit of dopamine, we get this hit of pleasure, we feel good for a moment, we get these like painkiller like, you know, chemicals in our brain. So, you know, pain and eating certainly connected. It works. The food works to distance you from discomfort. And again, like that's not your fault. That's biology. That's all or nothing dieting, really training this into you. And so if you're at this place where you can go, wow, I am using food this way. You know, I come home and even though I've eaten throughout the day, I eat everything in sight while I'm making dinner. And that's how I relax. That's how I zone out. Or I start to binge. I have a client who calls it the wall comes down and I feel nothing because the food is allowing her to really dissociate from her body and her feelings. Like th- these are uh, normal biological processes. They are not your fault that they're happening. Um, it's all or nothing dieting that's the problem, not you. And, and I just really always want to get that across because I know that women are carrying so much shame and so much blame around food. And it makes me angry. <laughs> it makes me angry. So I want, I want everyone to know it is not your fault. I love that. Um, you, we did cut out for a second. I think the internet froze. I hope we didn't lose too much, but I'm just going to summarize a little bit what you said. Cause I did pick up the, the most of it. Um, Absolutely. That leads to my second strategy with regards to our mindset going into it, right? It's just as important as our approach. You're right. You can't go into it thinking, oh, I'm going to dread this workout because guess what? It's going to suck. Oh, I can't eat this. I can't do this. All that negative association, you're going to hate your workout before or you're going to hate your program and your diet before it begins, right? You truly have to think about it's not about the number on the scale. It's not about the weight. It's not about what we look like. It's about our health and how we feel on the inside, right? So even if somebody comes to us and they have a lot of weight that they need to lose, okay, that's one thing, but what, what is it you want to feel, right? How is it that you, you know, you don't want that guilt and you don't want that shame. And I really think it's a women thing for us we hold extra guilt. We hold extra shame on our food choices, not figuring it all out. We love putting more things on our plate, right? And when then we forget, oh, okay, what? I don't have time to work out. It's, it's a, a cycle of all of it together, right? Yeah. You know, I think what you're speaking to um, in the book Burnout by Amelia and Emily Nagoski, they talk about this concept of human giver syndrome. And this idea that women are conditioned from a young age and expected by the society and culture that we live in to put everyone else's needs above our own. You know, examples of this, like the whole, can you be a working mom and a, uh, and a good mom? You know, can you, um, can you, yeah, do things for yourself or is that selfish? Like, uh, can't, I have so many women who, you know, aren't getting so good with their routines and caring for themselves and their kids come home and visit and everything flies out the window. And so, you know, the, 
the idea there being that we're socialized to believe that our value as women is related to and our worthiness as humans is related to what we can do for other people and how we can serve them with our time and our attention and resources. And don't mishear me. You know, I, I am a Christian. I believe in serving others. Like it's, it's in the, the fabric of everything I do and think about. And yet I also know that it's not the oxygen mask analogy of I have to get my oxygen, you know, on the plane before I can give it to someone else. No, that I hate that analogy because it's saying that, you know, your worthiness is still is is of being still alive ahead of their other people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The other the reason you're helping yourself is to help other people. And if that motivates you out there to help yourself, good, like go with it. Um, but my beef with that, and I can't help but use food puns, is to is because like I am worthy on my own, and not that I want everyone else on the plane to die, but like my life is just as valuable as all of theirs, right? And so it's not about, oh, put my oxygen mask before I can help other people. It's about my life is important and valuable and I am important and valuable, whether I have a large body or a small body, because we can get into weight discrimination. I'm pretty ranty this morning, and I'm noticing that. So I, <laughs> I'm sorry to everyone who's listening to this rant, but there's a lot of things to be angry about, I guess. <laughs> and just be frustrated about, because especially it's it's how we're thinking in our head. It's not the, di- like we're blaming circumstances we're blaming diets we're blaming everything and okay that could be okay for a degree you don't you know blame everybody and use that as an excuse not to take care of yourself but take care of yourself because we can't if you're not taking care of yourself what like not only are you not going to be able to service other people but like that's all that you need to do that's your actual main purpose for wanting to lose the weight, to wanting to becoming healthier, to wanting to serve everybody else better. It all starts with how you take care of yourself, how you're feeling mentally, right? And for many years when I, like, if we start to, from my starting point, um, I, I found like with regards to my mental health and controlling anxiety, and I'm also type one diabetic, like to be able to manage all of that, I have to take care of myself, mm-hmm. right? And when I don't, I can't, I'm, I'm not able to do anything. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's it's completely, completely, I don't even know what the word could be for that, but it's, just not it's the life you want to live. It's not, no. yeah, within your values, certainly. Absolutely. And it's frustrating, right? If you're getting slowed down, because often when we are overweight, when we are not taking care of our health, that's, it's kind of like that late marker. You know what you're kind of saying there earlier there too, right? It's like, okay, we wait for a bad diet to realize that we need to do this, or we wait for a health condition before we decide we need to to hire a, a dietitian or a health coach, we wait a little bit too long instead of doing it the prior hand. <laughs> doing sure, sure. And you know, again, like I just want to reiterate that if we realize where that comes from, this uh, this difficulty with self care that it comes from the way that we've been raised and the stories that we've heard. 
uh, as we're growing up and, you know, what culture says about being a woman, like we can have more compassion for ourselves. And that compassion is a fierce compassion. It's not a, oh, well, I guess I'll always be this way. But rather, this is, I can see the problem now. It's, it's outside of me. I'm not the problem. I'm living in this world that has impacted me. And, you know, what can I do to take steps to fix it? And what I found to be the anecdote to the all or nothing dieting and the shame of, you know, diet culture and human giver syndrome and all these things we've talked about uh, is uh, cultivating the courage to trust. And what I mean by that is recognizing that food isn't the problem and neither are you really trusting, right? You're not the problem. And the reason that's important is because when you're always blaming yourself, you can't actually problem solve because the problem solving comes back to, eh, I have willpower problems. I have self-control problems. I'm a loser. I can't do this. And so recognizing, right, that like food isn't the problem. You're not the problem. So what is the problem? What is going on here? How can you help yourself? How can you uh, care for yourself? It's developing the courage to trust that you can both mindfully indulge and consistently make healthy habits. And I know with all or nothing, it feels like you either have to be mindfully indulging all the time, or, or I'm sorry, you're either not mindfully indulging all the time in the nothing, or you're making the healthy habits, right? Like, but it's both, it's both and, and the courage to trust that you are worthy of love and connection just as you are, that working towards self-acceptance is important, you know, whether you are working on weight loss or not. Um, I, I firmly believe that. And when you love and care for yourself well, then you can decide what's the best goal for you. Is it weight loss? Is it maybe more around movement? Is it more around food? Is it something else? Um, and the actions to care for yourself that come out of that level of care uh, don't feel restrictive and punitive, don't feel you know negative. They feel life-giving and joyful. And when you have that courage to trust, then you can create this supportive relationship with food, with your body, with your health, so that you can eat with joy rather than eating to seek joy. So this, again, it heals that emotional eating as well, because you're recognizing you are trustworthy around food. Um, and you're putting specific steps in place to make sure that you're healing the biological things that are stopping you from feeling like you're trustworthy around food. Right. So it helps to take the guilt piece out. It helps to take a more objective look at it. And I think that's where we, when we started off, that's what we were discussing, how having that outside opinion, it's not to criticize you. It's not to, to make you feel worse than you already feel about having your mistakes, right? Our actual, um, how we approach it, obviously, right? But the diet itself, it needs to to make you healthier, <laughs> period. It doesn't need to necessarily make you lose weight. If you can just improve the relationship you have with food, the weight can come later, right? But we definitely get confused on trying to skip to that step by doing the perfection. But Certainly. it hurts us more because of that other fact that you just said in terms of like, oh, well, I had one bad meal. So now I just throw my diet out the window for the rest of the week. Yeah. Right. One yeah. bad meal. Yeah. If 
if you're feeling guilty and you're in that perfect place, it could sabotage you. But I always like to use it as an urgency instead. Okay, I had one not great meal. So you know what? The next meal can be a little healthier. It can be a bit better, right? I think we all forget that we're at different levels, every single one of us, right? I'm going to tell you my third strategy now. (laughs) Assessing us, right? Figuring out like, what is the first thing that you need to do? right? What is the approach that you need to take? Because if you try to change everything, it's not going to necessarily stand out to you what needs the actual work and what you're not going to know what works if you change everything, right? But if you look at, get somebody else's perspective or you look at your own lifestyle and you're able to do that, you can see, okay, I'm not eating any breakfast. I got to start there right? I'm not, I'm not definitely not getting enough protein or I'm, I don't know what a vegetable looks like. Well, that's your starting point, right? That's a guy. Draw a picture of some broccoli. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Have some sort of baby step of progress, right? I, I really, it's, it's a struggle. Sometimes we think that those baby steps won't get us anywhere at all, but those little steps are actually the big ones. I think that's a really, it's a really great thing to, to notice. And again, that all or nothing makes it so hard to see the small wins and the small progress because anything short of perfection gets written off as a failure. And so you miss actually the partial successes, the small wins, you know, the, the steps in the right direction. Uh, and how I've found the best way to combat that is in my courage to trust method, I have four pillars. And the second pillar is self-compassion. And when you can practice and develop this kindness to yourself, you can see the small wins and you can, you know, build on them. If it's drawing a picture of broccoli this week, which obviously I'm joking, maybe next week <laughs> it's tasting broccoli, right? Like, and then it's, what about roasting it? Like it's, it's building until soon you've got your half a plate of vegetables and, you know, you're happily munching along and it's a habit in your life. And you can't imagine having never even tasted broccoli before. For the record, I'm not a fan of raw broccoli. So if anyone out there is like making a yucky face, I'm with you. Um, But yeah, that's what came to mind. (laughs) It totally starts with your starting point. And I really love that you stated that because my my academy and my program is called Beyond the Scale Academy because Mm -hmm. I do encourage women like as my second step in the program is the mindset piece in celebrating the successes along the way because Yes, they're actually the big steps. Not only that, they're going to be the motivation boost. That's going to be the encouragement for you to keep going, right? If we try to skip to the perfect, to the end destination, we we sometimes put those blinders on too much, right? Like, yes, you're doing great. You're seeing progress, but are you enjoying that progress? Are you recognizing that progress? Are you acknowledging the fact that damn girl, you got some vegetables in today. Pat yourself on the back. Right. 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 And likely not because again, we're, we're, we're comparing our vegetables to the lifestyle we wish we had, which is someone who, you know, delightfully munches on vegetables all day. And you know, the other thing you said that makes me, made me think of self-compassion too was, and I think this is such a great call out is that people are afraid to get expert support because they're afraid of judgment. They're afraid 
that someone is going to, you know, point out all the wrong things they're doing and just judge them. And actually, most of what I do with people is to point out the wins because they have trouble seeing them and to also point out opportunities for more compassion. I was looking over an intake form with a new client yesterday and there were two questions back to back. What makes you feel good and what makes you feel you know, worse, better or worse? And the thing that made her feel better was when she could find a way to decrease the pressure. She called herself a pressure cooker, always full of pressure. And then in the next sentence, it was what makes you feel worse. And it was something along the lines of the constant uh, failure of weight loss. And I looked at that and I was like, wow, believing that you... uh, writing your life or seeing your story in such a way that that casts you as a constant failure is a lot of pressure, especially when she has had success in her weight loss attempts, you know, some sort of success in the past. Like this woman could write her own book about nutrition, right? Like over the years, she has learned all the things. Um, And so there's a lot to celebrate from those past attempts, even if She's not where she wants to be right now. And so being able to point that out and and say, is there a different way you can think about these past attempts and think about what is it that you learned from them? What, where was the benefit? Yes, there might've been a lot of harm. You know, I can look at my dieting escapades in grad school and I can see how, again, like that's, like I said, at the top of this conversation, that self-directed dieting research shows can increase risk of eating disorders and that disordered eating and disordered thinking so it can do harm. And, you know, does that mean you're a failure? No. Like there are things to take from those experiences that can help you today and help you feel motivated today and help you see yourself as the badass that you are, really. Our tendency, see, is to amplify our mistakes. Yeah. To, to, to show our mistakes. We don't our tendency in her first instinct isn't to amplify what we're doing right. We see what we're doing wrong and then we loop it in as the majority of the time, right? And then not in the right sense, not in the sense of I'm eating healthy majority of the time. So I'm not going to beat myself up if I have a little snack or I skip a workout here and there because I'm doing it majority of the time. Instead, it's like, well, I work most of the day, so I'm always working. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm only home some a little bit, so I'm never home. We, we just loop that majority in and then that amplifying of the mistakes of what you're doing wrong, it can get missed on what's going right. I have um, in my academy, like a, a tracker to use. So usually what do you see in a, a tracker usually for a weight loss journey? The scale, which is one piece, very, very one piece. I want every single week when I'm checking in now with my one-to-one clients, we talk about like, okay, what went well, right? What are you getting beating yourself up on that really you should be celebrating yourself on, right? Seeing those wins because again, that's going to keep you motivated to keep going, but it's what's the big picture here, right? We're never going to be perfect. We're never going to do all the things all the time. You just have to, to, to begin to, to see and enjoy and then celebrate the journey for what it is. See the progress within the mess, <laughs> within yeah. the messy action that comes, right? Yeah. And, and besides, you know, more progress, what that compassion and celebration and noticing your wins will do 
is it actually helps to calm down your nervous system. And this is something I talk about a lot. It's the first pillar of my courage to trust method. And it's important for people who struggle with emotional eating, because what's actually going on when you are sitting on the couch watching Netflix, and you have this very strong desire to get up and go eat something from the fridge or the pantry, or you're visualizing it in your head, Maybe it's not even something you really like. You just know it's there and you want to go get it and you want to eat all of it. And when you're done with it, you want more because it wasn't enough because it's not actual physical hunger. That style of craving is definitely emotional and it shows that your nervous system is activated that you are in that fight, flight, or freeze that we've talked about earlier. And going and eating something is one way to calm that down and feel better. And it's not only stress that leads to this style of craving, although certainly that can happen. It's any time we are avoiding our feelings. That actually is stressful to our body. Um, And we may not even know we're doing it because we get so good at it and food works so well that we start to think it's a habit. It's just mindless eating. But next time you feel that strong craving for anyone who's listening, I encourage you to stop for a moment and do a scan. Just scan your body. What's going on? What are you feeling? You know, for me, I get emotional eating urges much less now. You know, it used to be every day, several times a day when I was struggling. And now a few times a year, I will notice that intense desire to go eat something. And for me, it usually is when there's something I'm upset about that I don't want to be upset about and I don't want to deal with it, right? Like that kind of repression or ignoring how we're feeling, not processing it. Uh, And I will get that strong, I need to go eat something right now feeling. And when I scan what that feels like in my body, it is very similar to panic, that it's not actually a food craving, it is actually panic and anxiety. And I've talked with other people who've done this as well, and they've said, wow, that's true for me too. Or I have another client who feels like sick to her stomach, like she actually is like upset. You know, she's so upset. She's sick to her stomach. And so finding out what is going on in your body is a really good indication to help you figure out, is this physical hunger? Is it emotional hunger? Because physical hunger is felt in your stomach. Maybe you do feel a little anxious and that's normal to feel anxious with hunger uh, because that's how our body gets us to go eat. But it's not the same level of panic usually uh, when it's something like emotional eating. We know we're satisfied. Our stomach is not, you know, crying out for food, but but we want to go get it. And so recognizing, too, that nervous system is activated. There's more going on here from that biological perspective. It's not just maybe the way we're thinking about things or the strategies we have, but really working with our biology to calm ourselves down is important in the first step, right? Again, it comes from the inside. We can't, we got to start with the inside. Why are you eating? And I love the the first statement that you had said that you're like, it started like used to eat, you know, have those cravings all the time. Used to overeat all the time. Same, me too. Like there was so, it was so frequent. And that my first goal had to be gradually doing it less frequently. And then it was not as frequent and not as much. Like it had to have a starting point and I gradually had to build on it. It's not like one day I just said, I'm going to stop emotional and stress eating. And it's just going to Mondays come around and it goes away. Right. I was was always a nighttime eater. 
<laughs> yeah. The, and the note I want to make on that too, is if anyone's out there and saying like, I can't gradually decrease it, you know, I've tried that. Um, then, then that's often a sign that it's, it's not a habit, right? It's not even uh, a process, but rather there's something emotional going on that you have to learn. And self-compassion is actually a great tool for this. You have to learn to accept how you're feeling and validate your feelings and process them and, and know how to get them out of your body and move through them uh, rather than using food to keep it at bay. And, and so, avoid it. Exactly. Uh-huh. And avoid it. Yeah. And so if someone's going, yeah, but I can't just decrease it. It's probably because there's this emotional piece of it that um, you need to work to through. Learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And work through 1000%. You're right. Because you can find healthy alternatives. You can decrease the frequency, but if the root problem of why you're feeling this anxiety, why you're stressed out, why you're depressed, whatever is going on, you're still avoiding. It's not going to ever, you're still going to just be going around the problem, right? You're going to come back to that problem and still have to deal with it. We always, always want the easier route. We always try to, but at the end, you you still have to work through what's going on. Just face your feelings, face what's going on. And that first step could just be, you're right, figuring out what are the signs when you feel this way. Mm -hmm. Then what are the circumstances around those times that you're feeling it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I have too an emotional eating roadmap for anyone in your audience who is wanting some help to figure this out. And it sounds like your masterclass would be a great place to get support as well. Um, then go to cassiechristopher.net forward slash free and uh, get, it's called you're done dieting, but you still want to heal emotional eating. So you recognize this all or nothing dieting isn't the way to go. And this roadmap walks you through what does it take You know, what are the steps that someone has to take in order to deal with their feelings around food? Um, Because sometimes it's, you know, I mentioned trauma earlier, and I find that um, most of my clients have experienced some form of trauma in their life, uh, whether that be big T trauma, like a single event that happened, or little T trauma, like maybe being put on a diet from the age of eight or nine or 10 and being told that they are not worthy because they live in a larger body and, you know, fat's going to make them unlovable to the opposite sex and all of these things. Um, that's traumatic you know, dieting over the years and feeling like the scale is determining whether you are worthy and whether you are lovable, that can give you honest to God PTSD. And so most of the women I work with have uh, just, they, they have a lot of pain. They carry a lot of baggage around this topic and it may not feel safe to even do a body scan or check in. And if that's the case, you know, that's when getting support from someone who's trauma-informed and knowledgeable. You know, I talk to people and I, most of the women I work with have done years and years of therapy. And so they've had that support of walking through the trauma and now they need help to apply it to food. But if you're out there and you haven't done, you know, your time in therapy yet to, to unload that trauma, uh, that may be actually the best next step for you to help heal your relationship with food. And you may have to, you know, set down food and wait for a while and work on the emotional piece. I love that. Yes, because um, definitely we're going to put this in the show notes, that PDF so that they can get access to that, especially for those who are super struggling. They already know that they've 
you know, it is the emotional eating that needs to be addressed first. So we're going to have all of your links below for the show notes for those who are really struggling with the emotional eating aspect. And they know that's the route that needs to be worked on first, right? Also going to put the masterclass in there for anybody who is, who's still struggling to lose the weight, but they're not struggling as such with the emotional eating, the overeating tendencies. They're, they may have been past that or it's just not a concern at this time. Thank you very much, Cassie, for your time today. Um, I think we covered a good bit with regards to the emotional eating, how our approach can sometimes be a bit blurred and sometimes we, we do skip steps, right? We're not, we're not sure what to be doing. So let's change everything and, you know, or let's give up. And if one piece goes wrong, but progress can be made without us being perfect. We're still not perfect are we? But we, we, sure. we're learning and we're, we're working through it, right. And making progress in it, doing it for the right reasons. Because remember, even if you do have all kinds of weight to lose, that's, that's not what being healthy is all about, right? It will come as a bonus. It will. And maybe you do need to lose a little bit and that's okay. But you just knowing that first step of what you need to do to become healthier is honestly the first step. You don't need to feel guilty for where you are right now. You just need to take the actions or seek the help to become a healthier version of yourself. Mm-hmm. So that so it doesn't stop you, right? It doesn't hurt your day-to-day life. It doesn't continue to cause more guilt, more stress, and any overeating tendencies. Yeah, great point. Because you're a lot more worthy than that, right? It does start with you realizing that you do taking care of yourself, whether it's 20 minutes, it's so much better than no minutes, right? Work out and train because it makes you feel good. It gives you energy, right? And don't restrict yourself because you need to lose weight. Feed your body the good foods it needs so you're not hungry, And you don't feel like as those, you know, with the regards to the emotional eating things, I know when I was struggling a lot with my nighttime eating as just a little key end point here, um, it was further aggravated because I was restricting myself because I was trying to eat less, right? Then what was happening at nighttime, yes, it was a lot of the emotions, but I was also starving from not eating enough, right? So remember, please to feed your body. And if you need those first starting steps in the show notes, we have lots of free notes, free resources for you to get started. Okay. Thanks so much, Cassie. It was really nice meeting you and speaking with you today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. 